still loading just in case it says going live. It's okay, we're not live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January Coffee Chat. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a group of people on today. I know it was a little sad last week. It was only about two minutes. Diego gave it his best shot, but thought you all wouldn't want to listen to him chat for you know, an hour by himself. So we're here with a posse of people that are all here to talk about all the latest and greatest updates in Monero this week. Um, of course, you have me, Justin Ehrenhofer, the Monero Community Workgroup Organizer, Diego, the other Community Workgroup Organizer, and we'll start off just by going through introducing each other. Uh, now, of course, remember that if you have any questions, leave them in the chat. I am watching them very closely, so we will be able to answer other questions. It's a nice, casual conversation. So, uh, Diego, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey everybody, my name is Diego Salazar. Uh, some people know me as Rarar on the various social medias. Uh, I do things for Monero, some web work, some design work, help the core team out with whatever they need and whatever they assign me to do. Um, yeah, last week was was pretty fun. Two minute, two minute coffee chat. Decided to move it to this week so we could actually have some people and have some discussion instead of one of my famous rants that go on for far too long. Um, much happier to have a group of people here with, that we can uh, all talk about. That's me. That's my life in a nutshell. You now know everything about me, about my life, where I live, who I am, and my deepest, darkest fears. All right. Thank you so much, Diego. Uh, Arnik Mine, can you introduce yourself, please? Okay. Um, I'm Francisco Cabanas, otherwise known as Arctic Mine. Uh, been in uh, on the core team. I uh, also get some talks and I work on um, some of the scaling aspects of Monero. Uh, that's, that's basically what I do. Uh, so we'll go from there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Arctic Mine. Paul, thank you for attending your first coffee chat. Can you introduce yourself to people who may have not uh, seen you before? <clears throat> yeah, uh, I'm currently trying to find a venue to organize the Monerocon in Berlin, Germany. Um, yeah, lately I had uh, little time, so I disappeared in the chat, uh, in the Telegram chat. Uh, I was around still in, on Reddit when my time gave me, yeah, some free minute. But, yeah, I didn't disappear, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah but who are you, bro? Who yeah. are you He's really? He's a moderator on Telegram. He has been for ages. He's, oh. uh, I met him at CCC two years ago. Um, it was well, more like a year ago, I guess. No, two years. No, it's two years ago. Two years ago. I haven't been two years ago. But cool. He's, uh, also helping us organize stuff for, as he said, the conference. So, and looking for venues and all sorts of stuff. So, who is this ominous voice coming? Who hasn't introduced himself yet? I'm Need Money Ninety. I'm just some guy who tries to keep up with the community and moderate stuff. Very cool. Yep. Lee, can you introduce yourself, please? <clears throat> yes, I am Lee. I go by VTNerd on the forums and on GitHub. Uh, I've contributed to Monero Demon 
wallet and my Monero backend, um, various, I don't know, all kind of various code implementations for the various projects. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, okay, I think we've made our way through all the introductions then. So, yeah, again, if you have questions, leave them in the chat. We're going through quite a few topics because we haven't had a formal coffee chat in a little bit of time because there was the 36C3 that happened in December. And so there were hours of live stream content that are available on this same channel for you to watch if you are interested in talks. And those will be later uploaded one by one once uh, we have them available. So uh, those are currently being edited by a professional team. They'll be uploaded, and then you'll be able to watch all the talks more uh, professionally than you know watching them in nine-hour blocks, let's, let's say. Um, but I guess we can get started uh, with you, Paul, in relation to the Monero Conferenco. So I, just to give a little background for, for users, uh, last year in June, uh, Surrey Noether organized the first Monero Conferenco in Denver. And now there's a team of individuals that are organizing the Monero Conferenco uh, this year in Berlin. The tentative dates are, uh, it's like, uh, I wrote it down somewhere. It's like June like 14th and 15th. Let me actually confirm that. Tentative dates uh, are June 13th and 14th, so it's on a weekend. Um, yeah, it's a weekend. Yeah, so can you give a little bit of background about uh, some of the exploration you did to help find a venue and, and sort of what the outstanding questions are, ways people can still help uh, the, uh, the conference initiative. So I was trying to find a venue for budget uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, it was not easy because of Christmas time and stuff like that. So no responses. But uh, yeah, mostly all venues which are commercial uh, take like 5,000 euro up to, I don't know, even 20,000 just for rent. And if you want then catering, they mostly want their own catering, their own drinks. And yeah, when they are commercial, it's, it's really becoming nasty price wise. So I was introduced to someone from Seabase. You need a member to introduce you uh, there as a potential organizer of an event. And they are non-commercial, so we just have to pay uh, for cleaning costs. And additionally, uh, GEMA, it's, it's like the, um, I don't know, uh, the association of... Uh, for phonographic uh, stuff, uh, and you just have to pay it, uh, even if you play royalty-free music, because if if you don't pay it, they will go after you, and you have to prove that really no single song has been played from, uh, which was not royalty-free. So um, we have to pay that, but that's a cost of roughly 500 euros for both days uh, cleaning and the, the GEMA cost. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, thanks for the background there. Does anyone have any questions on the Conferenco, uh, including in chat? I know that the, you know, we haven't made any formal announcements yet because these are still planning ideas and we haven't committed to a venue and committed to a date and things. 
but there has been a lot of work that has gone behind the scenes by many really motivated contributors that have helped make the conference go into a reality. Um, so we're really interested in having your support through this and we're able to answer any of the questions that you have. Um, is there any you know, outstanding questions within the individuals that are here on Jitsi? Doesn't seem like there is. Okay, we can move on to another topic then. Well, so, um, as far as conference goes, I'm I'm curious uh, exactly how uh, much motivation you think we'd have for having both a venue in the United States and in Europe uh, simultaneously, or even at different times. I think that's a good question, and maybe in the future that would be uh, appropriate. I know we were considering several options in the United States. Um, but I, I do not know of an. I currently do not know of like a motivated team and that is making one happen in the United States. So, um, given the short time scale, I think that it's unlikely. But maybe we can plan for that in future years. I think it would be cool to have sort of like satellite conferences in a way that uh, you know you have the morning events in Europe and then you have afternoon events in the United States. I think that'd be pretty cool. But we're we're just not quite there yet on the logistics level. But I think that'd work out really well if we were doing, let, let's say, several universities or whatever, and people could just travel to whatever conference goes closest to them. Um, it theoretically could be even more cost effective. <laughs> Should we have seven confidentials at the same time on each continent? Well, honestly, I, I think having a small number is nice because I like meeting people in person and having a single venue for people to attend or two venues maybe at the most would be, I don't know, beneficial for uh, getting people into the same place. Well, is it for us or is it for everyone else? Of course it's for us. Is it for us? It's just kind of a, a, we a, are a celebration of Monero. Um, my thought on this is that it's a good thing to meet people in other continents um, that are part of the community. That's one of the things where I, I kind of supported the Berlin uh, Conferenco. Um, I think it's important that we don't just meet people in our own region, that we do meet people um, um, across the project in person. There's something about meeting someone in person that's important and valuable. So I'm kind of, at least initially, in favor of sort of the one location approach and then move around different parts of the world. Very cool. I, I see some comments in chat asking for the Antarctica Monero Conferenco. So I think Doug really has a, a good idea here. People are willing to travel yeah, to Antarctica. Rent out the research center. I don't know. That's a good question. I think you should follow up with them to see how much it would cost to get it, um, especially in the month of June. I think it would be really, really inexpensive. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> and I think the logistics would be super easy. I, I know that during you know the winter months in Antarctica, there's a ton of people going back and forth, as you know. ton of excess capacity. Nice climate. Nice climate, yeah. Really, have gone far from wanting to have it on like a Mediterranean island, which is the original thought to Antarctica. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but it looks like a lot of people are excited, so that's good. 
Santiago in chat says uh, two conferences at the same time. Um, Arctic Mine suggested, or I guess the current suggestion is revolving around having the conferences location moving continents every time as opposed to having multiple at the same time. So and for what it's worth, that's what, um, that's kind of what Zcash has been doing with the Zcon. They've, like, it was in Canada and then it was in Croatia and this year it's in Peru. So they're moving around. Lee left us, I'm sure I'll be back, though. Um, um, so, so Adam Muffin asks, how many tickets slash attendees are people thinking of? Uh, I believe Janowitz would have the numbers on that for all of the locations he's looked at. Uh, what what are we looking at for about peak capacity that we can be expecting? At the venue itself? Uh, yeah, so somebody in chat is asking, like, how many people are, are we expecting? Yeah, we, we cannot fit more than 100 people in the venue. Um, and for for the uh, presentation itself, it's like 50 to 70. Depends on uh, how we plan the, the floor and everything else. I don't know if that's too little or enough. I think it's on the small. It's definitely on the small side. Last year, for reference, there were about seventy some paid attendees and about twenty speakers. So it was around a hundred, a little over a hundred. So um, if the limit is a hundred, that's 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 pretty close, right? So. Mm. In any case, that, that's why we're still sort of hesitant and looking around still. Um, it's because there's a few outstanding questions there. Uh, VT Nerd, you just left, um, if you're watching. But I'll send you a chat message. You see, message me. Um, OK, so I think we can move on to the uh, you know, next topic. Um, Sec1, uh, who is one of the contributors to RandomX, recently posted an update on our uh, Monero. You know, actually, I probably will share my screen here, because I found it really, really interesting. Um, and it showed how people uh, or at least the Kryptonite R algorithm, the one that Monero used before uh, they switched to RandomX, really became, uh, really essentially became consumed with, uh, sorry, I'm doing multitasks here, really became consumed with some 86 or so I'm sharing the screen right now. Um, you can see this is Monero, uh, Kryptonite R is mined by ASICs now, uh, or FPGAs now by SEC1. And you can see if you look at the hash rate of Sumo coin, which is uh, one that uses Kryptonite R, that you know when Monero started using the algorithm, um, you know it, it wasn't clearly dominated. But right where this red line is, where Monero switched to RandomX, all of a sudden the nonce chart starts changing. So uh, to those who advocated sticking with Kryptonite R because there were no ASICs or FPGAs or or people who had different com competitive software or whatever, you can see that the knots really has changed. And I, I just thought that was really, really interesting. Uh, what are our thoughts here? Uh, it's possible. I mean, I have to look at uh, the profitability numbers for what we assume the most profitable hardware is. Um, we would assume to see a, a large outflow of the previous miners to another setup. Um, like when Monero no longer had it and that was had the majority hash rate, we would see expect to see a large hash rate change in the other coins. Um, 
I mean, I, I have to look a bit deeper. Just that that one chart isn't enough, but that's very interesting. I agree. Like this isn't, you know, evidence beyond a doubt type of revelation, but I think it is interesting to see the non charts change so much. And so I think it's a cool point that suggests something, but it as you said, it doesn't prove anything necessarily. Just a, a strong suggestion. Um, my thought on this was that um, if it coincided with Monero going to random X, whatever went in uh, impacted Sumacoin was what left Monero. So is it that there were ASICs already in Monero at uh, um, before random X, or did we just get a flood of GPUs going into uh, Sumacoin because they weren't cost-effective? See, the part about the nodes is the part that I find really interesting, but why why coinciding so much with Monero moving to RandomX? That's the part that I have a bit of difficulty understanding. That the ASICs suddenly appeared when we went to, uh, to RandomX, but they weren't there before. That's the part that I find a bit interesting. I wonder if it's like a proportion thing. So if you were looking at Monero at the time, you had a, you know, a proportion of miners that were following a specific non-distribution and then it was just more apparent when they switched to a different coin that had a lower total number of miners what was more obvious I, i'm i'm curious if that was the case it certainly in, uh, suggests more investigation is necessary um because you're right arctic mine it would be a little weird for someone just to turn on the miner the day of for a different coin it's possible but it also doesn't really make that much sense Um, Lee, I, I know your expertise is probably is more on the networking field, but do you have any thoughts on, uh, we're talking about mining on, uh, you know, Kryptonite R. Did you have any thoughts there? Oh, yeah, on the uh, recent speculation on whether there were ASICs? Yep. Um, I don't know. I haven't had a time to really look into the details of that, unfortunately. Um, I do know that at the time... So, I mean, I, I do have a lot of information because I was the only person to provide something for the first three tweaks of Kryptonite. Um, when that when, when Kryptonite R first came out, it did seem like it was possible to have some sort of FPGA-like device. The difference between, say, and I, I don't know, what, unfortunately I dropped out that I don't know what you guys talked about. The difference between Kryptonite R and what we have now is that Kryptonite R, there were randomized instructions but the seed was only by block height. So you would know in advance what the programs are going to be. So this did leave open the possibility specifically for FPGA to sort of pre-compute circuits that they could then load in advance or even a full ASIC. I don't think you'd do a full ASIC for that for various reasons, but you could have like an FPGA core that was pre-computed in advance. Um, so yeah, my only thought is that it's it sounds I mean, it was all, it sounds plausible, but I haven't looked into the details of their claims. And um, there is a different, Random X is designed a little bit differently, meaning that it would be, I don't want to say it's impossible to do the same thing, but it's going to be, the, the, the barrier for entry is going to be even harder because the instructions that are generated um, are dependent on the block itself, which then means you can't predict future 
uh, programs that are going to come up. Yeah. So it is truly a more randomized set of instructions as compared to what the CNR was. So, yeah, can't maybe. What was that? I'm sorry. Uh, you can't pre-calculate it. Correct. Like the disadvantage was that the 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 FP you could generate like an FPGA sort of bit file to load in advance because you would know the blocks of even a thousand blocks ahead. So you could theoretically do some pre-computations to load onto an FPGA kind of thing. Um, what you really, I mean, you can sort of do that now, but the problem is you have to. You, there's like a latency delay where you have to like pre-compute it and then change the, the FPGA programming in real time every time you do a single hash and you have to do it eight times per hash attempt. So it's, it's, um, it, it really makes it significantly harder. I don't know. That's about all I had to say. <laughs> Hopefully that answered what you were looking for. I, I think that was a good contribution to the discussion. Doug, were you about to say anything? Uh, nope. Just listening right now. Okay, cool. Any final comments on sort of RandomX, Kryptonite R setup, or uh, should we move on to another topic here? Another topic, probably. A lot of people saying move on. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen again. I have a few topics, uh, you know, news updates that I want to discuss. So, so first, Outreach, which is, which is a work group, recently made a post called Monero in China and the West. And I thought it was really, really interesting because it had, a, you know, a featured writer who lives in China and was familiar with uh, the Western and Chinese cultures. And they went through speaking about how Monero is perceived and, and sort of the differences in how Monero is approached um, based off their experience in, in a number of, of areas. And it was translated into English, so you can still uh, read it. And I, it was a really interesting set of perspectives in my uh, in my opinion about how you know there's different <laughs> different ways that people might perceive Monero depending on where you are uh, looking at it from um, I'm going to introduce like four more things and then we can go through have discussion really at all four just so I have to not hop back and forth sharing my screen um, the Monero compliance work group created this uh, blog post called the funds travel rule and Monero it Explained in detail, even though it's not in legal language, it makes this very, very clear here that uh, Monero as a platform does not um, interfere with the required funds travel regulatory requirements. So if you want to hear some of the specifics about how that might apply, I think this is a very useful way for you to go through and, and learn. Um, I'll be posting these links in, in the chat uh, once I'm done sharing my screen. Uh, the Monero, you know, a few months ago now, and back in December, but we haven't had a coffee chat in a while. Uh, the core team published an announcement on some of the updates of the core team on responsibilities. Most notably, uh, Fluffy Pony stepped down as the lead maintainer of Monero, and Snipa uh, took charge of the lead maintainer role. However, Fluffy Pony is still involved in the project as a backup maintainer, as you can see here. So he's not gone, he's just not the primary person that is. Uh, merging per, uh, pull requests and things. Uh, Snipa had a really nice uh, interview on Monero Talk. They're using a new format. So if you are interested in learning more about Snipa, that's an interesting thing to watch. And then one final thing I wanted to introduce for discussion. So we'll, we'll have discussion on four, all four of these very soon. Uh, Brian Armstrong made this blog post on the Coinbase blog saying what will happen to cryptocurrency in the 2020s. And uh, he talks about scalability as, as one important thing, and then privacy is the second thing he talks about here. Um, 
where he thinks that uh, we'll eventually see a privacy coin or a blockchain with built-in privacy features getting mainstream adoption in the 2020s. So not 2020 specifically, but he's thinking within the decade um, that privacy coins, as he says, will get more adoption because it doesn't make sense in most cases to broadcast every payment you make on a transparent ledger. He talks about other things like consolidation and you know a few other things in this post. So I'm gonna go through, link these in, um, in, in the YouTube chat, and then I wanted to start discussion on, I guess, all four of these items. So we're gonna have a lot to talk about here. Uh, Arctic Mind, let me hand it to you um, in terms of, uh, you know, kicking discussion off here. What, what of these four topics sort of stuck out to you? What, what, what did you think was really interesting? Well, the, the first comment I'd like to make, um, and that's with respect to the shiny scarcial aspect, is that the number four in China is actually seen as a symbol of death. Um, and I've always wondered um, if we should consider changing the default starting address for with something more neutral, like a six or something. I think that's a bit of a negative there. The eight, on the other hand, uh, symbolizes prosperity. So the sub-addresses, I think, has really helped in that market. And so that's something that it's just a question for consideration, but I, that we should be aware of that four is a sensitive number in Chinese culture. Um, the other thing I'd like to comment is, of course, that Monero has both scaling and privacy built in already. So um, if you're looking for a coin that has both of those characteristics, I think we have one that's functioning right on the um, blockchain right now. I think there's a strong perception that Monero still, there's, there's a bit of a perception that Monero doesn't scale, primarily because our transactions are larger. Uh, and that's a bit of a misconception because we're ignoring um, bandwidth changes and processing changes, etc. So that's a bit of a, a barrier th that we face. So those are the two I sort of wanted to comment on. Uh, the other changes, I mean, uh, the oh, the 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 uh, core team change, and, and I think it's the evolution of Monero as a, as a, a, a decentralized cryptocurrency uh, that we saw the changes that we saw, particularly with respect to Ricardo Fluffy Pony. That is just an evolutionary process of Monero uh, becoming much more decentralized, and that's I think what the impact of that is uh, of those changes. Anyway, so that's kind of my comments that I have on this. Good. Really cool. It's worth noting that Arctic Mind is a core team member, so he was involved in sort of making the set of evolutions that, that happened there. Um, so, Doug, do you have any thoughts on any of those four topics in particular? Sorry, one second. Okay. We can come back to you if you like. Uh, Diego, do you have any comments? Yeah, Diego, do you have any comments on those four topics in particular? Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, hmm. I'm more interested. Sorry, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. I'm more interested in the results of these rather than the decisions themselves, I guess. Um, 
it's hard for me to put into words because I feel like the open source nature of Monero um, makes it so it limits the ability for an individual to hurt the project. Um, so in a sense, it doesn't it doesn't matter as much what is placed at the helm or who or in charge of what things. Uh, it matters somewhat, for sure, and technical competence is important and appreciated and necessary to move things along at a rapid pace, but it's not 100% strictly necessary. Um, so under... Oh, what's up? What was this, the question that you're we're answering right now? I stepped away for a moment. So. I, this is Sniper, correct? Or... That's That was my understanding. Yeah, okay. Um, Fluffy is a great guy. Uh, he's technically competent. I don't know that he... I don't know about his ability to, like, do C++ or code in C++ to be able to, like, actually review the uh, pull requests to, like, a, a, an incredibly accurate degree. Um, so... If we were okay under Fluffy Pony in that sense, I think we'd be under okay under somebody I mean, else. I, th I think we were okay under Core. It's not. It wasn't just Fluffy. Core is an entity that is independent from the community at large, uh, and this community is built up a bunch of in, uh, of a bunch of independent entities. Like Core is an actual legal entity. They they have a legal mm -hmm. presence. Um, they they have the ability to do all sorts of stuff on like IRC any channel that starts with the word Monero, um, like Core has has jurisdiction over that just because they actually, again, control a legal entity. Um, and from from that perspective, I think, I, I mean, it's Core's choice as to who the lead maintainer is, and it's the community's choice as to whether we trust Core. Right. Um, I'm not, yes. I, you know what? I don't. I don't know that I'm ready to present my thoughts on all this right now. I, I'd say they're mostly positive, but they're. I, I'm waiting to see some things. I guess, with optimism and with hesitant optimism. I'm waiting to see as well, but um, I mean, I trust Core to be making sane decisions. I also have interacted with Sniper in the past, so, um, I mean, not a huge amount, but. Yeah, I'm going to jump in and quickly say that, like, I've interacted with Snipe a few times, and my interactions with him are, you know, very positive. I, in particular, really appreciate that he's willing to, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but my experience is that he seems to be one who's willing to jump in and ask questions about why we're doing things a particular way and be willing to change the status quo. And I think that, you know, that's very useful in Monero's case because we're able to you know, cut through a bunch of the nonsense and be able to just make things efficient and start using more sensible processes. That's something that I, as someone with a project management degree, really appreciates and sometimes frustrating in the past with the really decentralized community. And I think that this will hopefully bring about a, a nice blend of both worlds. So um, that's, that's sort of a, a beacon of hope that I really see in, you know, the move to make Sniper lead maintainer is that he's has high levels of availability and 
uh, it just seems to be very approachable. I, I really like that and, and a lead maintainer. I will say that the smoothness of the transition thus far has really shown how decentralized Monero is um, just because everyone's comfortable with kind of the jump. I mean, the, the questions are like, okay, well, maybe some people don't know Sniper, so they'd want to uh, get to know, like, know who's now the lead maintainer. But for the most part, everyone was not like, oh my gosh, it's not Fluffy Pony, except as kind of jokes, you know, like because Monero is decentralized. Everyone is comfortable with the idea of the decentralization and different people having different powers. So I think the smoothness of community response is a testament to the decentralization of Monero. Um, but I think, um, I don't know, man, decentralization has come to bite us in several different ways. I think it's the only way that the Monero project can exist. And I really, there, it really, there's no other way to do the uh, project like the Monero project. But man, sometimes the decentralization aspects really do suck in the sense that it's just so hard to get a lot of things done. Um, hopefully things, and this is why I'm kind of optimistically hesitant in seeing how things move forward. Um, because now that we do have a more available person than Fluffy Pony, that doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to get done smoother because some deadlocks were caused by waiting on merges or on builds, but some deadlocks were caused on either things not getting discussed um, as quickly as they should have been, which is not necessarily a core team, but a community, either nobody wants to bring something up or we have differing opinions so we can't move forward on it. So I guess what I'm saying is that, so now I am ready to speak my ideas on this. I think this is good and a positive and will be helpful overall, but I don't think it's going to solve as many problems as people might be hoping, uh, just because I think there's more, more social portions of decentralization, like I was just alluding to, the fact that people have different opinions, the fact that, you know... Um, people may be butting heads or or we may be undecided on the on the path forward and core as is does a great job of listening to the community but when that community is somewhat divided that means that okay we we need to wait a little bit longer to get social consensus before we move forward and that's not solved by a change of change of lead maintainer that's not solved by different people having access to the general fund uh and and stuff so uh i i I may be proven wrong. Maybe this might be the key that, you know, once certain things start moving along better, other things might start moving along better as a result that are unexpected to me. And if that's the case, great, you know, but uh, maybe that also won't happen. And some pain points will stay that we were hoping would go away. Yeah, Diego, what do you, if you had to give like your top two or three indicators of what you're using to try and assess how, effective this change was what would you what would you look at if i was to give a top two or three i mean i guess as a non-developer this may be silly so somebody can stop me if this is stupid but i guess time between tagging and getting builds out there would be a big one because oftentimes that could take quite a long time this past time was pretty smooth so thankful for that um, but has not always been the case in the past so we would have a consensus and we're all ready to go on something and then uh, it just is not happening so from a developer standpoint I think that would be one of the big things that I would look at and and also from the time when the builds are made to the time when they get up onto the website um, and I guess one last developer thing is how 
we can stick onto something like a code freeze where now we just are merging bug fixes instead of new features. Um, so that's kind of more on the developer side. On the social side, um, which plays a big role in Monero, I think when we hear decentralized, we like to think that the community, <sighs> never mind. Okay, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But basically, I think uh, from a social side, I would like to see higher quality meetings. They don't have to be like the official meetings on Saturdays and Sundays, but uh, a higher quality, more open, transparent, more easily accessible beyond IRC chat logs, meetings of the minds of more people. Uh, so as an example, the developer meetings, when Fluffy Pony did not show up, because he was the lead maintainer, it was very difficult to actually talk about some things. We almost had to continuously skip over entire sections of the agenda just because we're like, well, we kind of need the lead maintainer's um, thing on uh, talk opinion on this. And when he would show up, it's not like he said what we would do, but we were able to not just ask questions, but make suggestions. And he would make suggestions. Sometimes he would be overruled, but at least we know that now that everybody's on the same page. Discussion was actually able to happen, uh, whereas it wasn't really able to happen before. I mean, we could have, we could discuss it sometimes. It did happen where we would discuss things sometimes and then inform later. But then, you know, some things just get lost uh, when when you're playing the game of telephone. When you're going from this person is now telling this person who's telling Fluffy Pony what we discussed about. Okay, now maybe something got lost and there's some confusion and uh, some signal is lost. Whereas if everybody's there, then everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what they're talking about. So I, I think from a social perspective, not just developer meetings, but just with more present people in general, uh, which also to blame for this is the fact that uh, you know, hol when holiday season things happen, there's a lull in activity. After a big release, there's a lull in activity. Um, heck, sometimes after a big conference like DEF CON or something, there's a lull in activity. And you just got to kind of roll with those punches. Um, but uh, when we can get more people onto meetings, when we can get more people either making their own meetings or making their own work groups or all of this stuff is more easily facilitated, that's where I see that leadership is being beneficial and powerfully being used to empower other people. I know we like to think that we don't have leaders here in Monero. We don't have leaders in the sense that people tell us what to do, but we have leadership in the sense that some infrastructure is provided for people, some resources are provided for people, some places to talk and, and do things are provided for people. So that's my thoughts on this. Yep, thanks, Diego. I think this is a good question to open up to other people. What two or three main indicators are you looking at to see, sort of evaluate how effective this transition is? And if you are watching this on YouTube, please leave a message in the chat too. It'd be great to hear your thoughts also, and we can discuss those two in, in this group. And then I can introduce, introduce Isthmus, who is joining, uh, and I want to note that he's joining muted. Um, but um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I actually have to go. I just received a message. I have to leave. So okay. uh, really sorry about that, but you guys carry no, on. Thanks, thanks for getting your thought out. Bye, bye, Diego. Okay, um, Lee or Arctic Mind, do you have any, what, what are you looking at here? Yeah, on, the, on your well, uh, on the, oh, and, yeah, um, let's, do, let's, do, let's do Lee first, and then we can do Arctic Mind. Yeah, uh, on this, oh, sorry, okay. Um, so you mean on the four topics you gave you gave earlier, or the specific one on Sniper? Um, 
I'll say up to you because you haven't talked about all four. So you can <laughs> at least end on the top two or three. Right. Well, I think, I guess I probably should comment on this slide, uh, very briefly. I mean, I, um, I guess from most of the developer's perspective, it probably won't change too much. For the most part, we, the developers just argue with each other and then somehow Luigi or Fluffy Pony would come in and then either merge it or not. So um, I'm not really familiar with Sniper, so I can't say much on that, other than I think it will probably remain consistent, but, you know, I guess that has to remain to be seen. Um, then for other topics, I think you had posted... Hold on, I got the feed over here. Um, one of the interesting ones, I, I don't have much to say on the travel rule, or probably must say in China, but um, I, I did find it interesting, like many people, that... Um, Mr. Armstrong talked about privacy coins and then just kind of, I guess, didn't mention Monero, um, which is to be expected, I guess, <laughs> of him. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't even know, like, I can't even comprehend, like, sometimes, like, what these organizations are attempting Can to do. Can you talk about privacy coins in this ecosystem without mentioning literally the highest market cap privacy coin and the one with the largest community? Like, that's... It's a little ridiculous. Correct. I mean, and, yeah, and it's not like he did, like they specifically mentioned privacy coins. So it wasn't even like, well, we're just talking about cryptocurrency and privacy. But no, specifically seemed to be like saying that Bitcoin was insufficient and then just didn't mention Monero. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think I don't have any other comment other than I can't even like comprehend what their angle is. Or I, I don't know. Um, yeah, but unfortunately, I don't have much, I don't have much input on the on the uh, the other two topics because I don't know that I know enough about them. Other than this travel rule keeps coming up and Monero, it, it's kind of interesting. I guess the one point I will point out, I find it interesting is that the Monero community seems to be fairly convinced that it's not an issue. I know Arctic Mine definitely probably has some comments on that, um, but then everyone outside the community insists that Monero is screwed, which is kind of a I guess it's just kind of the norm in the cryptocurrency community, right? Where if it's if there's anything that looks bad for those other coins, you're just going to keep pumping that narrative no matter what. So that's kind of an interesting... Um, that's just only my observations, only because I don't know the legal uh, stuff behind that. So I would be actually interested to hear what Arctic Mine has to say on those various topics now. Perfect. So Arctic Mine, take it away, and then we can introduce Isthmus. Thanks for joining us, Isthmus. Uh, okay, comment on the travel rule. The one of the things about the travel rule specifically, because uh, and there was a fair amount of lobbying before with the uh, financial action tax force, is that there is the role of the uh, chain analysis companies. Now they actually pushed quite hard for rules that would have been quite negative to Monero, and failed. Uh, the actual implementation of the travel rule as it stands is totally neutral to Monero. One could even argue in some cases that is slightly famous Monero because you can use Monero's privacy as a way of verifying or at least getting a comfort level that you're sending Monero to where you think you're sending it, uh, which you cannot do with, a, with an open blockchain. It's totally neutral. I mean, basically, it requires that you transmit certain information when you're uh, a VSV uh, to you're sending it somewhere else over some threshold, 3,000 US dollars we mentioned, 1,000 euros that we mentioned, uh, and and that the fact that you have an open blockchain doesn't help you with the travel rule in any sensible way because you still have to send that information, 
and you and you practically want to do it um, outside of the chain. But there has been, I think, a fair amount of rhetoric, uh, and I do put the blame a lot of it on the chain analysis companies that have been pushing the idea of doing chain analysis as a means of AML NYC, uh, when in fact that's not what what has occurred. What has occurred is that we have a set of rules that are basically modeled as of the existing banking system that are effectively neutral to Monero. Uh, that's what, if you actually sit down and read the legislation, read the regulations, uh, that's kind of what you find. There is a lot of presumptions out there uh, that somehow, because we're a privacy coin, that we're not complying with the travel rule, which is simply not true. I, I mean, I, 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 I think there is a fair amount of fun and misinformation when it comes to this subject. Yes, I would agree. And I would also, I think, put some questions to some of the comments from some of the chain analysis companies. Um, and a good example was the uh, uh, some recent um, presentation before Congress by Elliptic. And, and what's interesting is that when you actually looked at the questions that were asked and responses, there was a lot of hedging there and it was sort of backing away from taking on the privacy guns head on. Um, so I think that's part of where this is coming from. There is a perception um, out there in the media that has been fed to some degree by chain analysis companies that we're somehow not compliant, uh, when in fact that's not the case at all. So that's that's my thought on that point. Uh, the other comment I wanted to comment is, of course, on the changes, and because my perspective on this is sit back and watch and see what's happening, to see what kind of response from the community and what kind of response um uh this is going to generate i kind of been in the core team that's kind of want to see what the community feedback is like um and it looks like it's reasonably positive at this point um but that's kind of my perspective on that i mean i like to sort of sit back and okay let's see what happens uh let's see what kind of response um the community has to this so i don't have any more questions on that particular issue but uh like i said on travel on, on the travel rule i think there's just too much fud flowing around uh, too much misconception and too much interest of people that don't want to recognize the fact that Monero doesn't have a problem there. Yeah, I, I want to quickly step in. Like, I, I work in compliance for an OTC firm that is the largest market maker for Monero. And so we have these challenges all the time where we need to answer the questions about how these regulations are applied. And it's been interesting to communicate with other parties. I will say, in general, people are so used to being able to purchase on-chain AML tools for cryptocurrencies that they get taken aback when there isn't one that's widely available for Monero. And so they're like, wait a minute, can we even have AML without on-chain compliance? And then you ask the question, of course you can't. Well, you answer by saying, of course you can, because we have AML for cash. We have AML for non-blockchains. So like, of course you can. And, and people are sort of relearning this there's this weird perception that cryptocurrencies must have on-chain AML when you can have AML met through a huge number of means. So it's just one tool that people can use. Um, so just adding that there quickly. On the travel in particular, I think the blog post really sums up my uh, my opinion. But you know, it's been well past the time for me to introduce Isthmus. Isthmus, thank you for joining us. Great to have you with us. Can you introduce yourself to everyone? And then um, if you were following the pre previous conversations, jump in and, and address whatever you found interesting to talk, talk about. Yeah. Uh, hey, I miss miss. I do. Oh, hold on. Sorry. Dogs 
maybe coming out. Uh, so I do kind of data science stuff uh, for Monero, looking at anything that's an information leak, ways we can tighten up the protocol where people have the ability to make choices that are like visible to an external observer. Um, kind of some things we're working on this week have been looking a lot at um, Coinbase's, how miners select blocks or how miners select construction or little bit of transactions and construct blocks. I haven't had my coffee yet, so I'm like, struggling on this much caffeine uh <laughs> um yeah let's see what else looking at actually doing some observe like archival work for zcash soon um i feel like there was something else oh playing around with ipfs for uh citizen science and potentially having people uh, donate logs by just dumping into a private ipfs not not bloating the main one of course um yeah that's kind of what we're up to i am behind what, what what's the topics for the day um, we were talking about the transition of the lead maintainer role. We were talking about the travel role and other compliance-related topics, how Brian Armstrong said that the 2020s would be a decade of privacy coins or see the emergence of a privacy coin. And the last topic was Monero Outreach published a piece about perceptions of Monero in the West and in China. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I want to check that out. I haven't read that. Um... It was I'm excited to have this morning. Oh, nice. oh, it was just this morning. I, I read it this morning uh, after it got. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. I'll check that out. Yeah. I'm excited to have uh, more interactions with Snipe. Uh, I like they weren't really on my radar until the last couple of weeks. And then they, uh, I think they came into Monero Research Lab and uh, really fun to brainstorm with. So I'm looking forward to, to that. Uh, in terms of the travel rule. I'm not a lawyer, so like I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but I'm wondering, is there a way, without revealing anything to an external observer, where uh, some piece of information necessary for the recipient to decode the transaction and spend it, instead of being included in the transaction, is uh, put in a larger blob that goes on to say IPFS and contains with it in one like digitally signed message contains uh, or even decrypted message contains what you need to finish unlocking the transaction and all the information it needs to travel against it. So then if the recipient is able to spend the funds, they therefore must have retrieved the file and received all the information necessary to comply with the legislation. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um. I don't know if, I mean, there's no requirement that you necessarily need that confirmation, but you are correct that FinCEN and FATF both explicitly state that information can be shared off-chain, so, um, oh, cool. yeah. I, I guess, clarify from a technical standpoint, you're already sending a shared secret, and so we actually encrypt the amounts to the person already, so it would be a similar process. I mean, if oh, you were yeah. to do with that. Nice. Uh, Ismus, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the recent work you've been doing on data science with MRL? You've shared it during a, a few of the MRL meetings. Um, yeah, what all have we been looking into? We've been, um, oh, we've been doing a little bit of studying the block propagation. Um, and that's been interesting. It seems like blocks propagate on the scale of uh, like one second to 10 seconds. Um, the way we established this was uh, Serhak, Neptune, and myself built the archival nodes uh, that record not the timestamps in the blocks, but the timestamps when we actually receive them, and then uh, spun up a global network of these, let them run for years. Um, 
And then uh, a week or two ago, Neptune brought all the logs, uh, centralized, you know, brought them all together from all these different nodes. And so for each blocker transaction that propagates across the network, we know exactly, exactly to the millisecond when it hit each one. So we took those and then we started looking at uh, what is the difference between when we first hear a block and when we last in, uh, and when the last node of ours hears a block, which is going to be uh, related to, but not exactly how long it took the block to propagate. Of course, it could have taken longer uh, overall because, you know, we didn't hear it maybe in the first or second hop. And there's someone out there on dial up, you know, in the middle of nowhere, it's going to have like a three minute propagation time. That's you know a little bit, a little bit not our concern. Uh, but anyways, just as it, it seems that like for the most part, propagation is size independent. Um, there was, there's like, if you get out to the really big blocks, there's, there's a little bit of weak correlation between size and propagation time. Um, it was very interesting. We started looking at the smaller block or the smaller end. Um, we noticed there's these uh, big, big clusters of like, here's how fast, you know, this small block propagated. Uh, and then here's the next one. And you could actually see very, like with the naked eye, empty blocks and how fast they propagate. And then like one transaction, two transaction, three transactions. And then of course, because transactions are slightly variable in size, you have a little bit of like variation there. And at first, like, okay, this is really cool. We can actually just by looking at the size of the block with a naked eye, tell what was in it. And then we noticed that there was actually like two or three different in the cluster that was empty blocks. There were multiple different sizes that were being sent. And we we're like, what is this? And so we go dig into the blockchain explorer. And I think actually Neptune was the one maybe who found this first that some miners include transaction extra, uh, sorry, not TX extra, but like extra data in the block. Uh, so you have empty blocks with no extra data and then empty blocks with just these big blobs. Um, that's something, something of moderate, moderate interest. interest. Um, and this yeah, is my, I think, I think that's, right there. I think that's minor gate, uh, if I recall, but they, that's been ongoing for a while. Yeah, it, some of them might be minor gate. Uh, Snipe explained there's a reason. I would butcher the explanation because I only 50% understood it. Uh, but there's there's something that the pool uses to like tag blocks or tag workers and that they just kind of like write it straight into different positions in the blob. And so I think that's maybe why, but so I don't know. We're still digging into this. Um, if, if we have, uh, I assume, a linear relation between block propagation time and transactions included, I... I've I've been suspecting for a while that if we increase the block size by a significant degree, we're going to need to in increase the uh, block time, specifically because the propagation time is going to become a significant percentage of uh, the total amount of time that a block is available before mine. Um, yeah, actually, it'd be interesting if 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 when block sizes increase, if the uh, block time you know, which you would modify by the difficulty, if that would also change with it, if, would, if, we, had, if, be, we, if we added that rule. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I think at some point we're going to need to increase the block time if transactions get large yeah, enough just to be able to support it. Um, I'm sorry, can you copy, um, what was the total, like the longest propagation time? I, I think I missed that part. Uh, I'm pulling up plots now. Okay, because uh, my, my only input was that one of the things I have been looking at is serialization time, and there's there's a decent amount of improvements that can be done um, for this, specifically for block serialization. Um, so when I was doing the Tor stuff, something that got slipped in there was the ability to replicate the same message across all your connections as opposed to re 
redoing the same work repeatedly. And, mm. and so one of the things that I never added, but it's, it's like, I don't want to say trivial, but not a tremendous amount of work is that you can serialize the block once and then just copy that across a hundred connections. Whereas currently oh. we're, we're re- redoing it a hundred times. And I also added a feature that the, oh. that the whole, the whole memory is now reference counted. So it wouldn't even be copying the memory. It would just be handing a reference count to hundred connections. So oh. I slipped that in this, I slipped that in this part of the tour update. No one really knows about it, but it will, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's definitely, if, especially if you've got a lot of, Outgoing connections is going to drop the serials, the the propagation time by some amount. I don't know what I I don't know the numbers, but it will definitely drop. So, so I my I, thing my, is on a phone. If I send someone a link to the image, are you able to screen share into the chat, or I could just yeah, I, I I can screen share into it. You can hold it up, or I can screen share. Uh, let me. I made the figures way too small, so uh, I'm just gonna hit you on IRC real quick. Uh, on my to-do list for the morning, not realizing there was a coffee chat, I was going to make these plots have like readable labels, um, but y'all are up and rolling. Okay. Yeah, it looks like we're going to make the coffee chat go over a little bit here just so we get these really cool. Oh, sorry. That's my bad. Up. No, it's not. It's, it's not <laughs> your bad. Okay. I sent them on uh, IRC. Because as far as I know, like only someone like Bitcoin does this kind of level of research. Like it's pretty rare for other, or I guess the ones that are claiming to be fast might do it. But I think Bitcoin and Monero are the only two I've seen with research at this level of detail. And screen sharing now, Ismus. Just note that I need to be the one who's talking for these to show up for everyone um, in the meantime. So I'm going to talk for a little bit. I'm going to just explain the graph, the first graph, and then we'll go to the second one. So uh, you can see on the left here, we have the number of occurrences. On the bottom, you have the long propagation time, lower bound. And so are these in seconds? Or I'm not seeing it. Um, oh, let me... The problem is I can't check the screen. Are other people seeing this? Yeah, I'm seeing it. Okay. Oh, okay. It must just be because I'm on a phone. Yeah, so I, I'm, everyone in the live stream should be able to see this. So you can see the lower bound on the bottom, and then you have the number on the left. So this is the first image. You can see it's like a bell curve. Um, can you explain this, Isthmus? The first one you sent. Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we can hear you. Can hear you. Okay, great. So... Uh, the x-axis is uh, propagation time, uh, and this is again from like uh, our best estimate from when our first node heard it to when our last node heard it, uh, and it ranges from like millisecond on the left all the way up to a uh, hundred second, ten or a hundred seconds on the right, because um, this is this is in milliseconds. And if we glance at it, you can kind of see a peak in the middle, which is, I guess, uh, more or less the median block time. So how long a typical block takes. Uh, and that's around a second. So give or take. And then we see that we have, you know, some propagate faster, some propagate slower. There's a relatively even distribution. I'm mildly curious, but I haven't figured out what the little bump around 10 seconds is. Um, is it um, possible for this to be in a uh, time series? I see, so basically, you take out segments of one month and then make a series of these charts each for one month's propagation times? Because that would make it stand Oh, yeah. Time. Yeah, yeah. I should do propagation time as a function of height. That's a very good idea. Thank you. Yeah, that would, I think, because I suspect that there may have been points in time where we had say, large blocks, 
And that's just going to be one hump in the graph from one segment in time, like if we had a large propagation time. And that's not really shown here because there's no function of time. Yeah, it, there is. Justin has uh, another one that is with a function of size. So that gets into that a little bit. But I, I will make the plots with time. That is a good, that is interesting. Okay, I'm showing the plot now with the function of size. And it looks like people who are watching the live stream still see the screen share while you're talking. So you can just talk about the second one now if you like. Okay. Uh, yeah. So first of all, you can kind of ignore the color. The reason the color is the height with uh, red being old blocks, yellow being new blocks. Um, I just plotted it to actually, uh, because of the thing need money just asked, which is like, oh, is this partially depend on time and when it happened? And the takeaway is that at least at like to the naked eye, it doesn't look like this is a, an old thing versus a new thing. Um, okay, so x-axis is size. Uh, this is logarithmic, so... Um, it goes all the way from the the little one the sorry let me get my order everything in order uh, x axis is size y axis is the propagation time so something that is small and propagates quickly would be in the lower left something that's large and propagates slowly would be in the upper right um, we see kind of the main body for blocks that are you know on the like one to hundred kilobyte scale uh, these vertical bands are what I was talking about earlier where. At the far left, we have the empty blocks, which if there was no variation in how they were constructed, you would actually expect just a single line because they would all be exactly the same size. We see there's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different sizes in the wild. Uh, and so I know that some of these have to do with the TX extra. I haven't actually figured out the all seven variations. It's on my to-do list. Um, and then the vertical bands. Some of those variations are due to our changes in uh, algorithm, et cetera. And so every single time that we cross an epoch boundary, we're changing the actual template. Uh, because there's both red and yellow dots in both of those, it suggests that these existed both in old epoch, uh, old eras and new eras. Um, I, I do wonder. So we, I checked the, I checked the one that had a big hop, and that was this like transaction next. Tons. It was, by the way, the transaction next door was mostly null padding. It wasn't even if it was just tons of null padding, uh, which is just kind of bloat in my book. Um, I haven't looked into all seven. I wonder if some of them are from multi-output transactions. Um, Koei, if that's how you pronounce the username, showed up in Monero Research Lab and asked some interesting leading questions about whether we bound the number of outputs in a minor transaction, which. Sounds like we don't. You can imagine uh, what kind of vectors that might open up. <laughs> Very interesting data. Very cool. I just have the screen share. Um, let me check the chat. It looks like um, there, a lot of people said they weren't able to follow you, unfortunately. But I, you know, we're, we're going through some pretty specifics there. I'm sure you'll polish up some later versions. Um, Isthmus is really good at plotting things, if you haven't noticed. Uh, so uh, if you really want to see the you know, peak Isthmus, watch his Monero Conferenco talk um, from this past year, because it was really, it was really, really interesting. And it led to some actual, like, actual changes that made it this way in the code. So uh, other people are saying thanks for sharing. Um, Wait, we'll have, I'll have a very detailed write-up that I'll share in Monero Research Lab. Uh, it's like basically written up, but Neptune did a lot of the work, so I just want to like touch base before making it public. Uh, but that should be coming shortly, and really, really much cool. better than my explanation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we're you know a little bit over here, um, are there any other final topics that people wanted to get across in the coffee chat today that we have not covered yet? Just an open open question. Nothing on my end.
Lee or Arctic Mine, anything from the two of you? Nothing more. Nothing more. Nope. All right. It looks like we answered quite a few things. I have a few final things I want to just mention as you know, news-related items. Uh, first, the DEF CON videos are now available, so those are available on the official DEF CON conference channel. Uh, there's a specific playlist, if you go under playlists, that is for the Monero Village. All the talks are listed there, so it's pretty exciting. Um, Triptych, which is something the Monero Research Lab has been working a lot on in addition to other proving systems like Ring CT 3.0, Omni Ring, et cetera, um, is really coming along. There is now uh, a proposed multi-state implementation, so we no longer lose out on that benefit. And it, it really provides very efficient signatures up to about ring size 128. So there's a, a preprint on that available. It, it is really, really exciting. Um, Sorry, someone's saying post a, a map. I haven't seen uh, the Monero ATM map come in. So you have to, so you paste in the map in the speculation thread. I don't know what the speculation thread is. Um, oh, is this, okay. I, I, I'll look through and see if that's available. Um, otherwise, uh, other things, Cake Wallet recently launched on Android too. So you can now download that. That's also open source. And Exodus launched uh, Monero for mobile now also. So it's now available throughout all of Exodus's platforms. Um, other than that, I think we've covered all the main uh, main topics. I'm going to look for that ATM map. Um, but yeah, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, can someone give some final closing thoughts while I uh, pull up that map briefly? I wish Diego was here. That would make this a lot easier. <laughs> he usually has uh, a lot of closing thoughts. Just yeah, he does. I'm, I'm, I'm still looking for the skeptics. <laughs> I'm just trying to fill up time, Justin. Faster. Keep filling time, please. <laughs> oh, man. I have a closing thought, but I don't know if I want to open this can of worms. Oh. The, uh, what is it, Europol supposedly throwing up their hands and saying they can't trace Monero. Anyone else skeptical of that? So I, I watched the live stream that was associated with that. It, it was featuring quite a few good partners. It's, it opened, it was actually really exciting. It opened with Jerry Brito from Coin Center talking about the importance of privacy. It was about, so good. I listened to it, yeah. For about like half the talk. So like you have this hour-ish long seminar and it's Jerry talking for like 20 to 30 minutes about the importance of privacy. And then they hand it off to Chainalysis and Elliptic and, and uh, Cybertrace so, in Europol. So like it was, it was really interesting. Um, so I, I certainly recommend everyone to talk that. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try and look for the link there. Uh, but, but it was a very good talk. And um, yeah, Europol said, uh, it wasn't actually just in relation to Monero. That's something I want to clarify. They said for what I'm going to call a non-really determined case for things where you're just casually, relatively casually looking to see what's going on, or you know, you're interested in someone, but it's not a really high-profile case. If something goes into like even Dash, like uh, CoinJoin or Zcash Shielded or Monero. Uh, generally, they say just kind of write that off. And yeah, yeah, if you're looking, I, I think, yeah, I think like it's a substantial question. I think it's dependent on the context of what they're trying to investigate. If they're just investigating like just some random person that might be suspected of maybe selling something on a darknet market, I think that's about where I think it's relatively accurate to say that that's about where it would probably end with most of these investigations. But if they are looking at someone who 
let's say in like the, the Norway case, like you have an abduction that takes place. I don't think they're just going to be like, oh, well, it didn't run through the first check, so we're done. Like that'll probably go through much more rigorous checks. And so I think- also, yeah. as the amount of money increases in the transaction, traceability increases because it has to flow out somewhere. Oh, you mean at the off-ramp? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you mean, uh, Justin, in terms of it's hard to just glance to Monero blockchain and come up with hypotheses. But if I have a hypothesis of you're spending these funds, you know, we have like 11 rings, ring members, you know. Uh, I think for if there's hypothesis testing, then, yeah, it's definitely not a, like a throw up your hands, what can we do kind of situation. I would say especially if you have external information. Bingo. Um, that you can correlate. And uh, I mean, an example would be, say, someone moving in and out of Bitcoin, uh, trying to sort of hide it by going through Monero. I mean, it's a classic um, A, B, E attack, where the one in the middle is, is exposed by the two in the end. You're buying from A, selling to B, and you're in the middle. And if A and B are correlated, then you can actually um, expose E in the middle. So that's... Yeah. There was a really great research paper. I don't remember who it's by, but they studied uh, round-trip transactions, what they call the RTTs, where you have like 10.896 Bitcoin enter change to Monero, and then 10.86... Actually, they did it on Zcash. It was 10.86 goes in the shield of pool, and then 10.86 comes out five minutes later. People were so lazy with this. They're literally doing like two block, 10 block, one day turnarounds, statistically trivial to extract. What if you, what if, here's a heuristic, what if I waited for somebody to go and deposit money into Zcash and then immediately withdrew that exact same amount from my wallet? <laughs> this is another you know, we have, question. We have a, that'd be hilarious to have a whale on Zcash that's just constantly like replicating transactions. So for everyone that like goes there, you can for every heuristic, you pool. can always throw a wrench in it, man. You're proposing actually making an anonymity pool, like a like a proto anonymity pool for this, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah, that would be really yeah yeah. Zcash, if this is an idea for your fund, go with it. That's hilarious. Lee, did you have something you wanted to add? Well, but, but, but there is a there is actually an interesting element here. Is can you do commerce within the mixer? And and that actually is what the big strength of Monero is, is when hiding transactions. I mean, uh, uh, that things such as, for example, um, what's been proposed for um, uh, Bitcoin Cash, which is uh, Cash Fusion, uh, where they're going to sort of pour into this deep mixer and come out again. Well, if you can't do commerce within the mixer, then amounts become a real problem. If your amounts are really out of whack with the rest of the mixing, then you can identify oh, amounts. Yeah. I mean, that's really the weakness. The, the, the big thing about Monero is that we are hiding amounts, not just doing the mixing. So the minute you hide the amount and then you mix, well, all of a sudden, ring signatures becomes way more powerful simply because of the fact that you can mix, you can sign any amount with any amount. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, a, that's a strong argument for why confidential transactions or confidential amounts, as I like to call it more accurately, is beneficial for like coin join type solutions. Um, Ismus, yeah, do you have a quick comment? Yeah, quick comment. Has anyone done a study 
plotting the distribution of values going into a coin join. So like 10 Bitcoin, uh, five of five and a three and a three and a one and a two and a two. And then the distribution coming out of the coin join, because it's probably now that Arctic points it out, it's yep. probably some like log normal distribution where there's like three players putting in a ton of money and taking it back out. And, you know, as you, if you have this long tail, you can probably be kind of binning and say, well, this is what was going in. It's probably about that. I don't know. I'd, I'd, has anyone done that? I'm not aware of it, but I've talked. I've had it back and forth with the Chainalysis company. Yeah, I was gonna say I've had a talks with Maxwell about this, and this is like why I just keep beating my head against the wall. And anytime anyone says coin joins, because it the amounts are leaking so much information that it just seems absurd that you're gonna even bother with coin joins. They're just they're like going in circles to coming back to the same issues. And yeah, I had a conversation with Maxwell about this, and he just kind of um, you can see it on Reddit at one point. He kind of said, "Well, yeah, that's why I agree Monero is doing a better job currently than these systems because like." It's basically the Zcash anonymity pool issue because you can see everything coming in and out. Um, the only thing I will I wanted to add was that they that's this is like the one feature that they want to add with Taproot. What they want to do is make it a standard transaction and a swap transaction look identical on chain. The idea being you wouldn't know whether you were just sending it to the other party or the two parties were swapping it. Uh, but the problem is the details of that are really complex because all the amounts are public. So how do you find a swap partner anonymously without revealing the amount publicly? So it's like, and I went back and forth with Maxwell and it was like the most insane marketplace they were ever trying to develop. I wish them luck, but it's going to be like atomic swaps are already a crap exchange market. And then they added, they want to add an order type that says, I have at least this much Bitcoin give me an offer and that's just like like range range proofs for order events yeah so they want to say like you i have two btc i then i have a zero knowledge proof that says i have at least 1.5 make me an offer and then you just like haggle between the two and you can't even tell the other person whether someone else took the two btc you just have to keep you have to say well i don't feel like giving it to you you can't tell them why i mean it's like uh, I don't know. I don't even know who the heck's going to trade this. That's the thing. So I don't know. That, that, that's literally what they're trying to do with all of this. And they're bending over backwards because they refuse to do confidential transactions is basically what it amounts to. So anyway, Arctic Mine, Arctic Mine was right on the point and they just keep going further and further down this rabbit hole of insanity is what it, what it feels like. I mean, maybe they'll find a way out. Quite honestly, I don't think they can. You can do coin join with confidential transactions. There's nothing that can prevent spoofing. So but the spoof a thousand different orders that they're selling and uh, nobody could tell the difference. Sorry. But the, no, but what I'm saying is, is, is it's not about coin join per se or, or ring signatures per se. It's about the fact that you have these visible amounts that then can be used to correlate um, the result. And this is. Yep. And this is exactly what. what um, uh, I think it was the one that the chain analysis did, or was one of the, what, or, or Cybertrace. They did this big, and they reconstructed the whole graph on this 100,000 Bitcoin uh, transaction. And what they did is they reconstructed all the all the amounts back up again, and that's how they correlated it. Because the, the thing is, you could go into the mixer, but you have a certain amount of money going into the mixer, and a certain amount of money going out of the mixer. Well, it doesn't matter what you, you can have a perfect mix-up, but if you could correlate the amounts in and out, then that's it. 
they can tell. Yeah. They see it, like I said, they just seem to be going in, in like the most, I, I don't know. But it's all about the amounts, as Arctic Manning said. And I think I, it'd be really interesting if Brandon were here right now or uh, Soaring, but I think Brandon would not have more to say on this because he's looked at it more, thought about that more closely. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. We had a, a lot of really nice talk that, that's come on, but uh, we're well over time at this point. So uh, I just want to leave on that note on confidential transactions confidential amounts that uh Serang and I prepared an auditability blog post it is currently merged like in a merge request onto the website you should see that blog post come up soon it will talk about a lot of the trade-offs that are made for Monero to have this confidential transactions hidden amounts feature in order to really make our problems much much easier in terms of traceability in other ways because with with visible amounts it's very very hard as, as Zcash and we're seeing with uh you know CoinJoin and other implementations are seen, even when denominated. All right, so with that, I'd like to thank everyone who participated in this long coffee chat. Thanks to everyone who left early, uh, you know, Diego, Paul, um, other people I'm forgetting because I'm an idiot. Um, and of course, thanks everyone for asking questions in the chat. It's great to have you all here. I'm glad we're able to have another coffee chat again. Uh, we'll be seeing you again. Uh, January 8th is the date of the next coffee chat. If you would like to attend the next community meeting, that is on. No, sorry, January, not January. February, February 8th. Sorry. Wait, right, it's January 8th? I'm sorry? Wait, no, it's 18th. Yeah, it's 18th. Yeah, today is the 18th. The next coffee chat is on February 8th. What is time? Synchronization yeah. is so hard in decentralized systems. Yeah. And. February 1st is the next coffee, sorry, is the next community meeting. So uh, make sure you attend that on IRC if you're, if you're interested. Okay. Thanks everyone for joining. I'm going to end the stream. Take care. Thanks, Justin.